The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. We want to tell you about an animal especially designed to survive against the elements. Our focus today is the monarch butterfly. To highlight their uniqueness, we first must discuss a special plant called milkweed. This flower, common across the United States, is actually toxic and when consumed in high enough quantities can be harmful or deadly to insects, animals, and even humans. However, milkweed is completely harmless to monarchs and actually serves as the only nutritional source for monarch caterpillars. Mother monarchs will intentionally lay their eggs on milkweed flowers. As these caterpillars feed on milkweed, they incorporate its toxic compounds into their bodies as a form of protection. Most species of butterflies are fairly easy prey for predators such as birds. However, predators have learned that to consume a monarch can bring sickness and even death. So, while many other butterflies and moths have appearances designed to blend into their surroundings, monarchs have one of the brightest and most distinguishable patterns on their bodies. It is their marking that is a signal to serve as their protection. The question is, are you trying to blend in when you are designed to stand out? Are you trying to blend in when you are designed to stand out? But you also have to think about it this way. I don't know if you ever watched these, you know, National Geographic discovery shows and think to yourself, yeah, but I don't want to be the monarch that teaches the birds that if you eat me, you die. Because that caused my death. Like nobody wants to be the one that everyone has to learn the example from. Like if I stand out, like you stand out, let everyone else learn the example from you, right? So we all kind of hear it and we're like, oh, that's really cool. The monarch stands out and all the birds know. But what about the bird that doesn't know and decides to eat you? And so I think we wrestle in a very real way with whether we're gonna blend in and fit in and get along, or we're gonna stand out and possibly get devoured by the birds, by the vultures. And I had the privilege a couple years ago of going to Yankee Stadium. I'm a big Yankee fan. You can boo me real quick. For those of you that wanna boo, boo. Uh, It's okay. For those of you that are Oriole fans, I'm also an Orioles fan. They're my AAA team, so I'm all about them. Uh, but I'm a Yankee fan. I grew up in New York. So those of you that are uh, joining us online, you can, those of you that are Yankee fans, you jump in with me, kind of give a thumbs up. But uh, I had the privilege of going to the Yankee Stadium to see them play the Red Sox. And if you don't know, that one of the biggest rivalries in all of professional sports is the Yankees versus the Red Sox. I mean, it goes back literally past 100 years. And uh, so anyway, I was there when they were in the thick of uh, a playoff race. And it was pretty exciting. And in the middle of the game, one of the Red Sox pitchers plunked uh, a batter, a Yankees batter, who happened to be the catcher. And I have never in my life seen such a massive crowd of people, 45,000 people start chanting the most vicious obscenities in unison. It was as if they had scripted this and planned it for a long time. I mean, they were able to chant entire vulgar sentences together, hateful things against the pitcher of the Red Sox. And they just, got, they just kept going. In fact, it was so ruckus and so like captivating that I mean, I actually had to make an effort to not join in. 
You, you get what I'm like? It was like, like you, like you almost couldn't help yourself. It was like that compelling. And uh, the, the game was really tight back and forth. And the Yankees actually ended up winning it in a, a walk-off home run, which was pretty, uh, pretty exciting. And I will tell you, being a Yankee fan, it was an unbelievable feeling. It was incredible. The crowd was in the game. We were booing any Red Sox fans that were present. People were chucking stuff at them and men heckling the Red Sox players. And it was exciting. We won the game. And I'll tell you though, if you were a Red Sox player, it had to have been an emotionally exhausting and physically exhausting game. Uh, it, you, the calls went against them. And I'm just being honest, all right? As a Yankee fan, I'm saying, hey, we probably got some calls during the game that we maybe shouldn't have gotten because the, in that environment, it's intimidating even to the refs, right? And so I, I walked away from that and I've given that some thought and it kind of matches the, uh, the monarch butterfly. Are you trying to blend in or are you designed to stand out? Are you playing on the visitor's field or home field? Do you expect home field advantage? When you perform well, do you expect everyone around you to cheer? When you're doing the right thing, do you expect all the calls to go your way? Or are you playing on the visitor's field where you expect that when you perform well, you get booed? When you do the right thing, you're going to be opposed. The calls may not always go your way. Things might not always work out the way you want them to work out. And you have to decide, am I playing on the home field or the visitor's field? From 605 to 586 BC, the nation of Israel was being destroyed. And it was actually what was left of it. It was called the, the nation of Judah, was the remaining half of the nation of Israel. And Babylon had risen to power. It was the world power of the time. And King Nebuchadnezzar had come into Judah and was taking the remaining Jewish people into exile, taking them into Babylon in three different waves. The first wave that came, they took all of the nobles, the educated and the wealthy. Then from that group, the king had his nobles select the best, the sharpest men, the bravest warriors, the greatest advisors and counselors. Then they basically asked them, do you wanna eat well? Do you wanna have a great life? Do you wanna live among the palace courts? If you do, then here's what all we ask. We're gonna change your name to a Babylonian name and we're gonna name you after one of our Babylonian gods. I said, okay. He said, you're gonna become eunuchs. Gulp, if, maybe you don't know what a eunuch is. Let's just say it's a man and you can't have babies after this procedure, all right? Um, and then they were required to be educated in the language and the literature of the Babylonians, which in essence meant they got put into a, a, re, a doctrine, an indoctrination camp. Okay, you with me so far? And so these, these, uh, all, all these different Hebrew men get put into this and, and so they, they get thrown in there, but then there was one more step and it was interesting because um, of all these devout Jews, nobody fought this. They didn't stand up and resist it, they just went with it. 
And then there was another moment, the king got more bold and more outlandish. And so we're gonna jump into the story as it was recorded by an author. It's written down in the Bible, captured in what's called the book of Daniel. And we're gonna jump into chapter three where this is where the story is gonna pick up. And let's just read here. Um, The king erects a giant statue made of gold and he tells everyone, all the leaders and nobles from all over his empire to come and worship his statue. So this is where the story picks up. Daniel chapter three, verse four through six. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lair, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so basically they're being bullied into compliance. They're being intimidated, not only to take on a new name, a new education, a new identity, their their legacy and their future was cut off, quite literally, but now they're being forced and bullied into denying their God and worshiping another God. And so this is a critical moment. At what point do you begin to say, I am going to stand up and I'm willing to stand out, maybe like a monarch. This might cost me my life, but I'm going to stand up and stand out. What is your point? Meaning, at what line do you draw on the sand where you say they can push me and they can push me and they can boo me, they can heckle me and they can call me names, but man, you start calling my mother names and that's it. Y'all didn't play any sports? I wasn't, all right. Um, You know, like at what point do you get pushed enough where you say, that's it? I've been bullied enough, I'm not bowing down anymore. Interestingly enough, imagine it. Thousands and tens of thousands of people gathered around this giant statue displayed King Nebuchadnezzar, all of the pageantry of of the greatest nation on earth, the world power of its time. All the greatest leader, leaders gathered to worship this made up God. Tens of thousands of people. Music starts to sound. People are cheering, people are shouting. And then all of a sudden everybody begins to bow. In fact, here it is, let's just read it. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down. And they worship the image of gold that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And this is their moment. This is our moment. 2,600 years later, and the world hasn't changed all that much. You and I have to decide at some point, am I playing on the home field or visitor's field? Do I expect to have home field advantage? I expect every call to go my way. Do I expect that they're gonna hold up my God as the God that everyone worships? Or at some point, are they gonna try to force me to bow to another God? And what will I do in that moment? At what point do I fight back? And so I'm gonna just, I wanna challenge you and I, I hope this message, I hope you hear my heart because my challenge is that you learn how to flourish on the visitor's field. You learn how to excel when the crowd's booing against you. Now, here is the thing. These guys, the Hebrew men, they could have stood up and fought the moment they said, we're gonna change your name. We're gonna give you you the identity of the Babylonian gods. And they could have fought back then. 
and they didn't. They could have fought back when they, when they made it an issue about gender and about your identity and made it an issue about your legacy and your future, turn them into eunuchs. They didn't even fight back then. They could have fought back when it was about what they were gonna be taught, what, what you were forced to know, how you were forced to speak, and they yielded. They said, teach us whatever you wanna teach us. We know what we believe, so teach away. You can tell me to speak your language. I, I'll change how I speak, I don't care. They yielded on, the, on all of those issues. But then when King Nebuchadnezzar said, everybody has to bow down to my God, because my God is greater than your God. See, it was a, this wasn't just an issue of worship and religion. This was, an, uh, this was an issue of arrogance. The king was saying, here was their attitude. When you conquered other nations, what it basically said was, our God is stronger than your God. In essence, my dad can beat your dad up. And so this was a moment of great victory where the king has got all of these nations around and he's forcing them to admit that his God is stronger than their God. Here's the point. At some point in your life, there's gonna be people around you who want you to bow and submit that their God is greater than your God. And this is, going to be, this is going to force you in a situation to decide, number one, who your God is, and then whether you believe your God is strong enough. But for a few Hebrew men, and for a few in our generation, it gives us an opportunity for this, and this is what I want you to take away from this message. For a few, it gives us an opportunity to live in such a way that we share and show God's fame. In fact, I would encourage you to take a moment and write that down. That I wanna live in such a way that my life shares and shows the fame of God. What does your life show? Are you living in such a way that your life shows and shares the name and fame of God? Whose who's God do people see in your life? Now here, here is the struggle. Most of us are gonna to bow to the gods of our own making. We create our own gods, our own desires, and we bow our, our love, our worship to those things. And when others hold up a God, we yield to that. So our nation holds up the God of sexual desire and we bow to it. They hold up the God of materialism, of success, of possessions, of getting ahead with a promotion or a paycheck, and we bow. And most will give up almost everything in order to serve the gods that are offered to you. And some, we make our own gods, the gods of our own happiness, the gods of our own pleasure, the gods of our own desires. The reason we create these gods and the reason we so willingly bow to these gods is because deep inside of us, there is a brokenness a brokenness called sin. It's a spiritual corruption. At the core of who we are, there is something misaligned. This corruption called sin separates us from relationship with the true God. And sin corrupts us into believing that our desires, our wants, our, our hope for pleasure, our hope for success or getting ahead, that those things are God. And so sin drives us to make gods of our own desires, our own wants, our own ego, and sin drives us to bow to the gods of the world around us. 
And the, and the result of sin is that not only does it separate us from God, but then we live our lives headed toward an eternal judgment. The, the spiritual part of us that was corrupted by sin goes on living forever, suffering the consequence of bowing our life in worship to these gods of our own making. But God, the God, the true living God, who isn't made by human hands, who isn't a God formed by the kings that are the most powerful on earth then or on earth today, the God entered into our world and became one of us to rescue us. Jesus Christ came into our world for the express purpose of rescuing us from sin. People like you and me who too quickly bow our knee in worship to the gods displayed in front of us. Jesus Christ came to earth knowing that we would bow. And so what he did was he took our sin that, that sin corruption that drives us toward our own ruin, he took that sin on us. The judgment that we deserve because of sin, he took that on himself. The shame, the guilt that comes from living a life driven by sin. He took that on himself so that when Jesus died, he didn't die because he deserved to die. He became our sin. He became our shame. He carried our judgment so that when he died, he died in our place. Jesus this God-man died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of sin and given new life. And when you receive this new life through faith in Jesus, it's not, a, it's not a new life that comes into your physical body or into your mind or even into your emotions. It's a new life that enters into the previously corrupted spiritual part of who you are. God's spirit enters into your spirit and when God's spirit is united with your spirit, you become truly alive. For the very first time, you become alive in God's spirit and you receive eternal life so that even death can't kill you. Death becomes a gateway simply to forever life. Now, here's the key. The reason I'm taking the time to explain this to you is because when you believe in Jesus by faith, you now have given your loyalty to God himself. What that means is you make a commitment to not bow your knee to any other gods. But you have God's spirit in you, giving you the power and the courage to share and show his fame. In essence, you discover that the reason you're here is because you now become an ambassador, a champion. You become a player on the visitor's field. In essence, you're on a different team now. And so you understand that when you get up to bat, they're booing against you. They want you to strike out. I, I mean, I used to do this. I played baseball and we would, we would heckle the, every, every player on the other team. Like my, my thing was I would yell at him and be like, he's a looker, he's a looker. And I would try to get him to swing at the worst pitch possible, you know, because make, make him think that he was just gonna look at every pitch that goes by. And then you get in their head and then they swing when they shouldn't swing. So I'd be heckling them. And, and we've got to understand my loyalty is to God, I'm on a different team. Now, how does that look? Here's what happened. In, in this scene, when King Nebuchadnezzar had all of the nations and peoples bow, there was a few guys that wouldn't bow. But they were threatened that they were gonna get thrown into, anybody that didn't bow was gonna be put to death. So this wasn't just some light issue, this was a big deal. But let's jump back into the story now and read what happens next. So the, uh, the advisors, the home team refs, 
go to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? You guys with me? And they, they come to the king and they say this, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, these are their Babylonian names. These names are each reflective of a Babylonian God. These guys, they don't pay, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So they, they, these home court, home team refs come and they tell on these Hebrew young men. These young men get dragged in front of the king and they get threatened again. In fact, there's this moment the king, the king uh, makes this challenge to them. You can get clemency through conformity. Your salvation is submission. Oh, you want to get that promotion? Then live your life our way. You, you want to get ahead in this, in this career? You got to do it my way. And there's going to be a moment in your life when you're going to believe that you can overcome punishment. You can, you can avoid the consequences. You can get clemency through conformity and your salvation will come through submission. And this is your moment where you're going to decide whether you're going to coalesce in conformity or you're going to stand up with the courage of your convictions. And so here's the threat. Daniel chapter three, verse 15. But if you do not worship you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And this is a key moment. This is their moment when they're confronted. Will you bow or will you stand up? Will you conform or will you step out in courage? What are you gonna stand up for? And, and in this moment, he's taunting their faith. He's saying, look, don't forget, my God conquered your God. That's why you're in captivity. You have a, you, you're, your God is worthless. And I hope that you're quickly drawing the parallels in your own life. There's gonna be a moment when people are gonna mock your God. They're gonna mock your faith. They're gonna say, your faith is worthless. Your faith is useless. Look where your faith has gotten you. Now you could pick a fight in a lot of issues. These, these three guys chose, they weren't gonna fight politics. They weren't gonna fight about their, their, what you called them. You can call them any name you want. They weren't gonna fight the education system. They weren't gonna fight um, their future, their legacy, their gender. They, you, you can castrate me and I'll comply. But you make me bow to a different God and I'm gonna stand up. And so here's their moment, I love it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I love it. We're not even gonna mount a defense. I'm not gonna fight you. We're not gonna argue with you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and, we will, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. At some point, the elements are gonna be against you. You were designed not to blend in. Your faith is designed to stand up and stand out. 
So my challenge to you is choose carefully when you're going to stand up and stand out. You don't need to stand up for every issue. You don't need to get caught up in every fight. You don't need to make your colors known and hold up your banner on every bandwagon issue. Choose wisely. Do you want me to, I can repeat the list again because I feel like this is a critical teaching in this generation, in this segment of history. They did not stand up when their identity was challenged. You can call them whatever name you want. They didn't stand up when they were castrated and made into eunuchs. You could cut off their legacy. You could cut off their future. They did not stand up for what they were being taught or how they were told to speak. But when you told them and you challenged their God, that was their moment. They said, we're not gonna defend ourselves. Our God will show up. Our God will show off. But we want you to know that even if he doesn't, throw us in the fire because then death will deliver us from your hand. Here's, here's the key. I love it. Let me read this, past, this phrase to you again. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your, from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, here's the key. Live to show God's fame. In essence, whose colors are you wearing? Whose name is on your shirt? Whose team are you playing for? At some point, your loyalty is going to be tested. It's not just who you serve, but it's whether or not when you're told to put on this team's colors and when the, when the home team is chanting against you and they're recruiting you to switch sides and, the, and everyone's bullying you into compliance and clemency comes to conformity and you have this moment when you're confronted, are you going to stand up and stand out or are you gonna blend in and go with the crowd? Let me challenge you that you and I are called to live to show God's fame. They made a commitment that they were gonna live their life in such a way that the home crowd that was booing them and heckling them, at least they would have respect for the way they played the game. You might, you might be booing against me. You might not like me. You might see me as your enemy, but you're gonna see my love and you're gonna see my conviction and you're gonna see my courage and you might take my life. Oh man, I feel like a quote, but I'm not, I'm not gonna do it. But you'll never take my freedom. All right, uh, here's the thing. Listen to me very carefully. If you spend your life trying to gain the applause of the crowd, you'll bow to the gods of our generation and culture. But if you've made a commitment to live your life to show the fame of God, you will live your life in such a way as to show God's love and show God's name through your life, hoping that the crowd booing you learns to respect you. They may never cheer for you, but at the very least, they watch the way you play and they go, I can respect that. I respect their love. I respect their life. I respect their faith. I don't agree with their faith, but I can see the courage of their convictions. They're not fighting every issue. They're not, making a, they're not turning every ball field into a battlefield. But if you push them hard enough, you see their colors. And I wanna challenge you that obedience to God will bring you to places where you're gonna be confronted to comply or step out in courage. Obedience to God 
will bring you to a place where you will be confronted to comply or stand out in courage. God is looking for faith like that. Now, there's this cool moment. Um, they get thrown in the fire. <laughs> no, you didn't, you didn't think that was funny? Um, I don't the, the king says, okay, you, you don't want to listen? You're not going to bow? Fine, kill him. And he throws him in the, he has his soldiers throw them in the fire. And then the king is looking in the fire and check this out. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. There's this uh, debate in translation if who, the person who appeared in the fire was Jesus pre-incarnate, meaning Jesus showed up in the fire with them before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it, what a cool picture, right? Here's these three Hebrew men thrown in the fire because they would not bow to a false god. And Jesus shows up and even the king of a nation sees Jesus Christ in the fire with these three men. Now, if, if you grew up in Sunday school and this was a story you've heard many, many times, here is the lesson you thought you were supposed to apply to your life. If you have faith, then when you get thrown in the fire, God will show up and rescue you from the fire. That's not the lesson from this story. Let me be really clear with you. The lesson is, if you have faith, you'll be willing to be thrown in the fire. That's it, that's the lesson. They had a no matter what kind of faith. And no matter what kind of courage, I don't care what you do to me. You can burn me, you can destroy me, you can throw me in the fire, but you will not get my knees to bow to the God that is a lie. You won't get my knees to bow in worship to something that I know is not true. My loyalty, my love, my life is devoted to God alone. And when your devotion is to Jesus Christ alone, it changes everything. And when your devotion is to Jesus Christ alone because he gave you his life, you're willing to give him your life and your life becomes an opportunity for God to show off through you. In essence, your obedience gives space for God to show up and show off. And when we live in obedience, when we live radically committed to God alone, we create space for Jesus Christ to show up in our lives so that when others, even the king of the greatest nation on earth at its time, looks in at these three nobodies, he can't help but see Jesus. When others around you see your courage, they see the stance of your convictions, not because you argue and you pick a fight about every issue, but you choose in that moment that you will not bow in worship to phony gods. You're gonna keep your devotion to God alone. In that moment, do they see Jesus in you? Now this creates another moment, and I'm gonna read the rest of this passage, and then I'm gonna give you one other quick challenge. So stick with me. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the God that we conquered, the, the God that Babylon beat up on. No, no, this is what he says. He goes, servants of the most high God, meaning the God who is above every God, come here. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar said, and this is important, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command. And we were willing to, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve. Look at what caught his attention. They were, uh, they were not willing to worship my false God. They were, they were willing to serve their God even if it cost them their lives or worship the God except their own God. Therefore I decree, now this is the irony of it. This is really funny, I, I, I always like this part. Therefore I decree, the people of any nation or language who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses will be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. He goes, that's it. Their God is so amazing that if you say anything bad about their God, I'll kill you, I'll cut you into little pieces, I'll burn down your houses. I, I like crack up, I'm like, even King Nebuchadnezzar, like he couldn't resist saying like, that's it, their God's the real God. Now, if you ever mess with their God, I'm gonna kill you. So, but here's what I love. You see how these three guys won the visitor's crowd. They said, we're gonna, we're gonna live our lives in such a way that we're gonna show the fame of God. We're gonna live our lives in such a way that it becomes obvious who the real God is. It doesn't matter if you burn me up, if you destroy me, then my, my life and death becomes a testimony of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I was not gonna yield no matter what. But if God decides to show up and show off through my life, then you're gonna create an opportunity for God, for God to do something remarkable and that will allow me to share the fame of God. That's how I wanna land this. Live to share God's fame. Look, you could be known for a lot of things. You can make a lot of things, the fame that you're gonna be about, your name, your reputation. You can get caught up in a lot of issues, a lot of politics, a lot of conviction issues, a lot of moral issues. For me, and the way I've led Lifehouse, the way I lead our staff is this. We're gonna stand for Jesus Christ. I wanna make the name of Jesus known. I wanna, I wanna lift high the name of Jesus. I wanna share with people the love and life of God alone. And I don't have time to get caught up in a lot of other nonsense. I don't have time to argue about a lot of other issues. I don't want my life statement to be about a lot of other problems. I want, when people see my life, what, I, what comes out of my mouth, what I'm gonna share with them is that God loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you. And he wants to forgive you and give you new life. And if that means you're going to chop me into little pieces and throw me in a fire, so be it. But at the end of my life, whether singed or rescued, I want you to know that clemency will never, my clemency will never come through conformity. My salvation came through submission to Jesus alone, and that creates an opportunity for me to share my story. Here's the deal, be careful what you share. In essence, be careful what you're gonna be about. Can I challenge you? Narrow the scope of what your life is about. Make it about Jesus, Jesus alone. Don't get, don't get sucked into every debate. Don't get caught up in every argument. We don't have time. And here's the thing, the enemy of your soul will get you so distracted arguing so many things that your voice is lost as white noise. I want my voice to be a clarion call of Christ 
and his love. But that's only gonna happen if you live to share and show the name and fame of God. So I wanna take a moment, here's what I wanna do. Some of you, you need to, you're at a place, you, you need to make a commitment right now. You've been sitting on the bench and you're not even sure which side you're on. If you don't know what side you're on, you're already on the side of sin. But I'm gonna invite you to step off the bench and onto the team of Jesus Christ. Say, my loyalty is with God alone. And if that's your commitment, then you make that your prayer. For others of you, can I challenge you? How is your life being lived to stand out rather than blend in? And so I just wanna take a moment, I wanna pray over you right now. Would you, would you allow me to do that? For, for those of you at each of our campuses, I wanna just take a moment, I wanna pray over you right now. Jesus, Thank you for loving us so much that you saw us on our way to eternal destruction. You stepped in and you rescued us from the force of sin and you offered us new life. And so Jesus, we receive that new life by allowing your spirit into our spirit. And God, with your spirit in us, teach us to live against the elements so that we don't live our lives to blend in or bow down, but God, that we will stand up and stand out for what is right and good and best. We say this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.